0: Welcome to Goat Valley Campgrounds. Looking for a place to escape your busy life and reconnect with nature? Goat Valley Campgrounds features 300 acres of quiet forest and peaceful scenery for you to enjoy. Come meet Kate. She runs the place like her parents before her. We know you'll enjoy your stay as long as you behave yourself and follow the rules. Your survival depends on it. The No Sleep Podcast presents Goat Valley Campgrounds by Bonnie Quinn. Chapter 9
1: My family says that we're cursed. It takes many forms. There's the obvious curse, the little girl and the beast. Certainly, the beast won't hesitate to gobble up anyone that gets in its way, but its presence is tied solely to our house. The one passed down from campground manager to campground manager, across the generations. These two entities are fixed on my family line, and it's they who hold the strongest claim to our blood. The little girl killed my mother. The beast killed my father. And someday, I fear, they will kill me as well. This is the first form of the curse. The second form is more subtle. It's a deep, unrelenting love of the land. It ties our hearts to it and traps us in its beauty so that we can't abandon it. No matter the danger, no matter what it takes from us, we can't help but love it. I was ensnared at a young age. My brother was spared this curse. Perhaps because the land was so certain it would claim me. It wasn't wrong. I do love this campground and all the subtle beauty and joy it contains. Love obscures the danger and makes us willing to die for it. The third form is the happenstance form that we speak of facetiously. Mostly it's in regards to our campers and the locals. We're cursed when someone leaves a garbage bag on the side of the road instead of tossing it in the dumpster, which is only four yards away. We're cursed to deal with drunken mishaps or one star reviews over petty, stupid matters. And if that wasn't enough, we have the locals causing problems for us as well. Why us? Why do we have to deal with everyone's problems? We're cursed. That's why. Sometimes I wonder if this isn't just a way to complain about random misfortune. Perhaps these inhuman things are out to make our lives more difficult and the rest of the world conspires with them to help. There are patterns to the supernatural and its ebb and flow intersects with our reality. When things are bad, the family curse finds a way to make it worse. My name is Kate and this is Goat Valley Campgrounds. I was in my office working on quarterly performance reviews. I've taken to heart the trend of delivering feedback more often than once a year. Do you really wanna wait a year to find out what you're doing well and what you could be doing better that might impact your ongoing employment? No, of course not. Also, it keeps the meeting shorter. Good job, no complaints. Your coworkers say you're an asset to have around. Done in about 30 minutes. Of course, Brian's review always takes long because the dogs have to be praised individually and given treats. There was only one performance review left to right when there was a knock on the door. I was in the campground office, which was accessible to campers. My personal office at the house was focused on the parts of campground management we don't want visible to the public eye. I absently called out that they could come in. Probably another land dispute, I thought. We get a lot of those during the summer, especially when it comes to who can hook up to what water spigots. The heavy footsteps that entered told me it was a man, a big man. I didn't look over yet, focused on finishing up a note to myself so I wouldn't forget my current thought when I returned to the review after this was over. I finally glanced away from the screen just in time for the man to place a severed human head on my desk. It was fresh. The blood had mostly drained from the tattered remains of the neck, but what dribbled out onto the desk surface was bright red and thin like water. It had belonged to a young man, The glasses were still on his face, sitting crookedly across eyes, wide with surprise. The flesh of the cheeks was loose, dangling over an offset jaw. I stared at it a moment in shock, and then raised my glance to stare at the man in front of me. His eyes were fixed vacantly on the back wall of the office. A big man with broad shoulders and prominent biceps, roughly the same age as the head leaking onto my desk, Covertly, I reached under my desk and silently pulled out the drawer that held a loaded pistol. Can I help you?
0: Just needed to drop this off.
1: Is that all?
0: It is. Have a good day.
1: His tone was normal, which, given the circumstances, sent a chill down my spine. There were goosebumps on the back of my neck. He didn't do anything else, though. Just turned and walked away. He didn't shut the door behind him, and I stared out through the open doorway as he walked about eight paces from the office. Then he collapsed, fell to his knees in the gravel drive, and started screaming. He clutched at his head with his hands, digging the nails into his scalp.
0: No!
2: No!
1: Ryan was nearby. He had his dogs with him. Those dogs had a sense for when trouble was coming, and usually managed to be close at hand for it. Brian cautiously approached the wailing camper and the dogs milled about sniffing at the ground.
0: Hey, hey, it's gonna be okay. We're here to help. You can't help. He's dead. I killed him.
1: I did. With my own hands. He stumbled to his feet and whirled, making for the office entrance. His steps were faltering and his eyes were wide with desperation. Instantly, the dogs closed ranks in front of the office door. They didn't snarl or snap at him merely blocked the entrance with their bodies. The man pried at one, grabbing it by the collar, but it was like he was trying to move stone. The dogs regarded him with calm, compassionate eyes and refused to move. Brian carefully came up behind him and put a hand on his shoulder, gently pulling him away.
0: You don't want to see it. Trust me, you don't want to see. Chris! Damn it, that's my brother! Chris! I know, I know but seeing him like this will only make it worse. Come on, we'll take care of it from here.
1: He turned the man around and walked him away from the office before ushering him into the waiting care of another one of my employees. A couple of the dogs followed the camper as he was led away. Their heads were low and their tails drooped. They knew something terrible had happened. I went out to talk to Brian, who was standing in the road, rubbing the back of his neck with one hand.
0: He killed his own brother. Damn. What the hell causes someone to do that?
1: I'd put my money on this being the work of the man with no shadow.
0: He doesn't kill people, though.
1: He doesn't kill people often. And he doesn't do it himself. This? Forcing someone else to murder their brother? Absolutely his sort of game.
0: So, what do we do about it?
1: What can we do about it? Not like we can nicely ask the man with no shadow to stop being an asshole. (sighs) I'll go talk to the police. Make sure our grieving camper there is kept isolated from others so word doesn't get out around the campground.
3: Okay.
0: I'll keep a couple of the dogs with him, too. Maybe they'll help.
1: He walked away, getting out the radio to inform the staff that we needed to find the rest of a body. I returned to my office. The man's severed head seemed to be staring at me as I sat down. (sighs) I'm sorry. Your brother talked to the wrong person, and when that happens... There's nothing that can be done to save them. Hey, uh, this is Kate. There's been, um, a death on the campground. Much to my relief, the police officer that responded was alone. Sheriff Sabota hadn't gotten word of this incident yet. Still, it was only a matter of time. My stomach twisted into knots just thinking about it, and there was a sour taste in the back of my throat. I could pass this off as a mere murder and thereby protect myself. But if the outside world got a hold of the news that somebody had killed their brother on my campground, well, it'd be bad publicity. Wouldn't fit with the image we were trying to project to the outside world. I waited outside while the officer bagged the severed head. By then, the body had been found, and that was loaded up into an ambulance as well for transport to the town morgue. We didn't have much around here, But we sure as hell had a morgue, though even that wasn't remarkable. Just a squat cement building, barely within eyeshot of the funeral home.
2: This looks pretty bad, Kate.
1: I'm well aware. You gonna help us out?
2: I can't. Not this time. The sheriff is breathing down our necks about this.
1: That's bullshit. Tell him to stop meddling with our affairs.
2: It doesn't work like that. I have to let him know, and if he says we follow procedure, the real procedure, not what we normally do, then that's what we'll do.
1: It might not get out. The family may keep it quiet on their own.
2: They might, or they might not. Guess we'll find out.
1: I can't leave this to chance. The town's economy depends on this. You know what the liquor store calls our big events?
2: Second Christmas. I'm aware. I need more time. That's asking a lot from me.
1: Think about it. Your sister-in-law runs the bakery, right? What happens to her business if the campground traffic dries up?
2: She doesn't get that many campers dropping in.
1: Really? Ask how much she makes by selling fresh-baked goods in my camp store during the busy season. These scones gotta come from somewhere. There was an uncomfortable silence.
2: Sheriff says that we don't necessarily need to shut the campground down. just needs to be sold and then it's not old land anymore.
1: A new owner won't do any good if the sheriff ruins the campground's reputation in the process.
2: Well, I suppose that's true. <sighs> okay, here's what I'll do. I'll stall the investigation. I'll tell them we're still trying to determine if inhuman influence is involved, or if this was just a run-of-the-mill murder. It won't buy you much time, though. Maybe a day at most. I hope you've got a plan.
1: Oh, believe me. I've got a plan. The officer didn't look reassured by me saying that. So about those rules, I don't believe anything should be an absolute because intent is more important than the letter of the rule. A rule is meant to coerce a desired outcome, after all. And if there's a way to get that outcome that might not be exactly within the confines of the rules, well, what's more important, dogma or results? I did what I said you shouldn't do, Rule number three, the one I keep saying over and over because it's something that everyone should know, if not from folklore, then at least from watching Lord of the Rings. Don't follow the lights. I followed them. They tried to lead me into danger a handful of times before we reached the edge of my property. They took me to the mound where the thing in the darkness lies sleeping, but I went around and waited until the lights began moving again, reluctantly in another direction. They took me to the people with no faces, but as I've said before, they won't harm me. I felt them looking at the needle I wore stuck through the fabric of my shirt and the cup and candle I carried. To where are you going? The Vanishing House. Do you know the way? The lights are unreliable. We do not.
3: Would you like us to make a sacrifice for you, however? In the hopes that some power would smile upon you? That's
1: a very kind of an offer. I must refuse, though. I already have the blessing of a goddess.
3: Yes. Blessing. So we see. After that, the
1: lights took me to where Frost hung on the leaves and coated the ground. But I wore the mantle and the cold could not touch me, and I passed by unscathed. They took me past the lady in chains, but I was unmoved by her cries and weeping, and her too. I passed by. Finally, they took me to the edge of the property. They stopped just shy of the border, marked only by my memory and a few scattered, no-trespassing signs. Part of my land is fenced, but not here. Not on this edge of the campground, where the road is some distance away, across neglected and empty land. I figure that few people are gonna be willing to haul their gear this far in order to sneak into the campground. And those that are physically able to are likely backpackers who are respectful enough of the land to pay for its usage. Brian, found it, northwest corner.
0: Right, I'll bring the truck around.
1: I'm going inside. Remember, if I'm not back by morning, torch it. Let's just say I had a backup plan that involved gasoline and matches. If I couldn't rescue the sheriff, I at least wanted to eliminate one of the dangers around here. The house sat before me on the other side of the road, a squat thing of wood and shingles with that front porch and the barely open door inviting me in. I won't lie. I was afraid. I didn't want to go inside. I'm not entirely sure how I forced myself to move. The needle was bright against my shirt and that was some comfort it and the light cast by the candle and the feel of the skull cup in my hand. Were the heroes frightened in the stories? I think they were. Yeah, they were, of course they were. But they had their protection, their three items, their rules, their helpers, or whatever it was that would see them to safety. They only had to trust and do as they were told. I didn't have any rules to follow, not here on the threshold of the vanishing house. All I had was my three items and my courage, which was sadly lacking. But I went inside. I stepped across the threshold. The door swung open at my touch. The world ended at the edge of the candlelight. Within the bubble of its glow, I could see weathered wooden floors covered with a layer of dust and wooden walls devoid of ornamentation. There were squares where the color of the wood was darker, untouched by the sun's light where pictures had once hung. After that, nothing. Just a darkness so deep, it was as if nothing existed at all, and I had reached the end of reality. I felt a tinge of panic merely looking at it, the instinctive terror you experience when you stand on a precipice. I tore my eyes away and focused instead on what was directly in front of me, what was real and stable. The door swung shut behind me. Gently, I heard the latch catch i'm here for the sheriff nothing if the house had a master it wasn't inclined to converse i took a shallow breath and pressed forward the house unfolded before me as the candlelight touched it i took the first doorway resolving to follow the left hand rule i entered the living room two windows were against the front wall the very same windows that the young man had stared out at me from all those years ago. There were dark rectangles on the floor, clear of dust, where furniture had once sat. Only a single sitting chair remained, shoved into a corner. A woman sat in it, naked and limp, her head lolling to the side so that her ear almost touched her elbow. Black blood coated her side and pooled on the floor, having poured out of her missing arm and the gaping cavity that was once her lung. It long since dried into something resembling ink.
3: Do you remember my name?
1: She raised her head and it flopped over to the missing shoulder. Black bile dribbled out of the corner of her mouth and her nose. Fell in viscous drops to the floor. I'm afraid not. I think I learned it, but I've since forgotten. Sorry.
3: It's okay. It's okay. You've seen so many die, I imagine. What's one more name?
1: I walked around the edge of the room, to the windows on one wall, covered with heavy curtains of a pale, brown, loose knit. I looked outside and saw my aunt's car parked on the shoulder of the road, but there was a pall over the scene, as if a black mist had settled over her vehicle. Are you
3: dead? Quite. You feel guilty, don't you? <sighs> I wish I could have saved you. You tried. tried. He did more than most people would have.
1: Her words sounded hollow. The polite thing to say, but not something that either of us actually believed.
3: Can you tell me where the sheriff is? I cannot. He was dragged away from me, cursing, fighting to get to me the entire time. The house took him, and I was left to die alone. I was so scared. I was choking on my own blood. And I just wanted someone to be there, to hold my head up so I didn't have to taste it in my mouth, to tell me it was all going to be okay.
1: She paused for a moment, a thin stream of black liquid trickling down her chin through pale lips.
3: I suppose it wouldn't have mattered. We all die alone and afraid, don't we? Someone being there is no comfort when you can feel your body failing all around you.
1: I thought of my father dragging the little girl by her hair out into the yard. I thought of my aunt stabbing the faceless person with her own scalpel. We die alone and afraid. Or angry. Angry was also an option. I walked past the young woman toward the next doorway. I couldn't help her. I had to keep moving. We had no idea how long the house would remain in one spot, and I didn't want to risk being trapped in here simply because I took too long. The next room was a kitchen. Cupboards and cabinets were along the far wall. All their doors were removed and the shelves were barren. The stove was an empty spot of torn linoleum, stained with rust and grease. A table with no chairs was shoved against the other wall, and the young woman lay upon it. She was on her back with her remaining limbs splayed and dangling limply over the edge. Her head also dangled, her long hair almost touching the floor. I glanced back into the first room. She was still there, sprawled in the chair, and she was here, sprawled on the table. Is this the house doing? Are you here to distract me, or, or are you the master of the house? She laughed, and black liquid frothed at her lips until it filled her mouth, and she began to choke. She spat a thick clump like a clot out onto the floor and regained her voice. I'm not the
3: master. The master took the sheriff and left me to die alone. Yes, we covered that already.
1: I edged past her. I pressed my back against the edge of the cabinets, not wanting to get any closer to the dead woman than I had to. Her eyes tracked my every movement. She spoke again when we were directly even with each other.
3: I died.
1: More black liquid dribbled down her chin, bubbling forth every time her lips moved. You killed me. I tried to save you. I continued edging past her, my heart hammering. I watched her remaining arm. If it so much as twitched, I was going to bolt.
3: You could have done more. You've always been able to do more.
1: Now that just wasn't fair. First Perchta and now this dead girl.
3: Like what? You could sell the campground.
1: A giggle punctuated by the rasp of liquid obscuring her throat like hell I will i continued down the left side of the kitchen wall letting out a deep sigh of relief once i was out of reach she stretched out her hands towards me as i reached the next doorway rolling on the table so that she stared at me from her side the swell of her broken rib cage luminescent white in the light of my candle i stared into the next room a hallway with a staircase at the end
3: is it pride I think it is. You're too proud to admit that you're killing all of us. I'd had enough.
1: I whirled on her, stalked back through the kitchen to where she lay, and plunged the candle flame into her body. I'm not sure what I thought would happen. I was blinded by anger and acting on instinct. She caught like paper. Her skin curled and blackened and burned, and she screamed, the remains of her body thrashing and that black liquid fountained sluggishly out. It swallowed up the candlelight, and the flame both, and all light vanished just as she finally fell silent. I realized what I'd done too late. Panic seized at my chest, and I strained to see anything. Then I felt the lap of cold liquid, like watery mud at my feet. I moved, quickly. I put one hand out, the hand with the candle, and stretched out two fingers to feel for a wall. There were stairs. I remember seeing stairs. I had to find them. The liquid was at my ankle. It was so cold. I stumbled forwards. A wall. I had to find a wall. My hands touched something fibrous, like the surface of a dry leaf. I desperately traced along it, running my hand up and down its height to see if it turned into a staircase at any point. It continued on, and then it turned sharply. I stretched out my other hand, trying to find the other wall to indicate a doorway. Nothing. At my knee, I was beginning to shiver and clenched my teeth together to keep them from chattering. I followed the wall and it turned again and again. This exceeded the bounds of the house, I realized. I'd been walking for too long. I'd made too many turns. Where the fuck was I? And then the water was at my waist and I struggled to move, for its consistency was akin to mud and it dragged at my body, pulling me back. All I could think was forwards. Forwards. Keep moving, keep feeling for a wall with trembling fingers. The water was at my chest. I began to panic. My lungs fluttered, and my breath came so fast I was dizzy, and I stumbled and staggered, consumed with the desperate thought that I just had to keep going because there was nothing else I could do. The water got to my chin, and that was when the floor vanished. I began to tread water, trying to keep my head above the surface, but it began to rise so quickly, and the consistency was thick like it was pulling me down and I was dragged under. It felt like falling, like I was tumbling in a current that was taking me deeper into the mores and I curled around the cup I still had clutched in my hands. I clamped my fingers over the improvised cover for it, layers of plastic wrap and rubber bands, because that was all I could think to do in my panic. I couldn't spill the cup. He would be so angry. I couldn't let it spill. And I remember nothing else until I awoke in a strange place, wrapped in blankets and laying next to a fireplace.
0: Goat Valley Campgrounds was written and adapted for audio by Bonnie Quinn. Produced for the No Sleep Podcast by Phil Michalski. Musical score composed by Brandon Boone. Starring Lindsay Russo as Kate, Kyle Akers as Brian, Mary Murphy as the woman, TJ Lee as the officer, John Grills as the camper, and Sarah Thomas as the harvester. Join us next week for the final chapter of Goat Valley Campgrounds. This audio program is copyright 2022 by Creative Reason Media Inc. All rights reserved. No reproduction or use of this content is permitted without the expressed written consent of Creative Reason Media Inc. The copyright for Goat Valley Campgrounds is held by Bonnie Quinn.